Welcome to Soundstage Insider, the podcast that takes you behind the scenes of the film and television industry. We're bringing you the visionary directors and producers, the talented cinematographers, editors, sound designers, and more who really make the magic happen. So let's go beyond the red carpet and discover a fascinating world of behind-the-scenes talent. Hello there, welcome back to the Soundstage Insider podcast. My name's Jamie Moffat, and today we are talking to Susie Davies and Charlotte Durix. They are the production designer and set decorator, respectively, for the film Saltburn, which you may have heard about. It's everywhere right now. This is an extraordinary film. I would definitely recommend checking it out if you're into this kind of thing. Now, what is this kind of thing? Well, it's kind of hard to pin down. It's a sort of gothic, romantic, sleazy, unexpected drama set in a very fancy country house in the UK. It's it's a real fascinating watch, so I would recommend watching it. It is out now. It was out on the 17th of November. And if you want more about this movie, I would also recommend you checking out the latest In the Envelope podcast from Backstage. We interview Emerald Fennell, who is the writer and director of the film. So uh, we really go into her process, and that's a fascinating listen too. So, yeah, let's not dawdle any longer. We talk, of course, about Charlotte and Susie's work on this film, but also their careers more broadly and how to get into production design and set decoration. It's a really fascinating discussion. I should preface this by saying... The audio quality is not the greatest. We This was uh, one of those situations where I didn't have a huge amount of control. Um, but anyway, I think it's I think you'll you'll get used to it. It's not too bad. Uh, but yeah, here's our interview with Susie Davies and Charlotte Durix. I saw Saltburn yesterday and absolutely yeah. loved it. Thought it was extraordinary, and I'm still processing a lot know? to process yeah when you come out <laughs> i you know what? i was alone in the yeah. movie theater like i was the only person they did put a screening on yeah. for me and i was literally didn't even have anyone i talked to my wife when i got home. it was really special i i absolutely loved it this podcast cool. is all about behind the scenes people and so you know this is perfect for me and our audience so to kick things off uh i'd love to hear what it is that you guys do you know i know you have individual roles susie you're a production designer charlotte you're set decorator so to kick things off could you give us a brief outline of of your responsibility on set uh susie why don't you kick things off so as a production designer my responsibilities are to bring the visuals to life so i get the script and i start to imagine what we can what how that's going to look sometimes i get very clear pointers from a director sometimes i don't and i'll put some images together and then we sort of decide how it amongst us it obviously filmmaking is very collaborative so uh, we'll decide how it's going to look and then i do the boring stuff and try and make it for the money that we have and try and right. meet the you know the ambition and the money to work it gets a bit boring becoming a you know sort of like an accountant and then, um, and then we the next stage is actually physically making all this happen um, with with a great team, like and particularly with Charlotte, who does her her magic as well. So, I guess there's a art department. We encompass the visuals, the look of it, any food that's eaten, any special effects we're often involved in, what cars they drive. We deal with the vehicles, 
any stunts we're usually having to do aspects of that as well making softs or breakaways or things like that so it's a, a, a broad spectrum we sort of have our fingers in every every pie every other department we all you know merge in and um as an art department quite often we have the potential to have the most fun on set as well i think so that's that's what we <laughs> oh, do we'll be diving into that shortly i'm sure cool. <laughs> um charlotte what about you so um yeah i mean i have the extraordinary pleasure of working with susie and susie's got this extraordinary knack of just having overseeing the whole picture but also being able to drill into the detail and i think like with susie we have this very precious time right at the beginning when susie or you know like my propensity as a set decorator is to want to drill into detail quite quickly and she's just always like let's keep it open let's keep all the balls in the air let's keep it light and it's really incredible and she's taught me so much by doing that because you allow a lot more in a lot more air into the project and the look and the feel and allows you just to listen so we listen a lot and talk a lot with emeralds we did and we had her fantastic mood board and susie's and we had them a3 like all the way down the corridor so you're looking at that every day and i think what i love about susie is yeah just just keeping that feeling going and then obviously there's an element of fear that you're <laughs> what if we can't do this what if we can't do, you know like but that's also a really interesting thing to work on as well as your fear of like, you know, you want to be able to dot all the eyes, but by keeping it up and open, it allows air into the project. And then I feel that that allows overall, then the audience kind of gets to be part of it a little bit more. It's not like a look, it's a feeling we're always chasing. Love that. And we're going to get into Saltburn specifically very quickly, but before we get there, I'd love to have a little sort of potted history from each of you about how you got to this point, what your journey was like to get to this point. Is that an easy thing to uh, give us an overview of? I can, yeah, I'll, I'll do a, uh, a quick version. I actually went to agricultural college and graduated in agricultural and management and technology. And then I worked for a sculptor and model maker to sweep floors whilst I was looking for this grown up job. And a door was open to a world I knew nothing about and I just thought hang on a minute what's what's going on here so um, I ended up being a sculptor and model maker in polystyrene and I worked for a, a art director on a commercial and he thought I'd graduated in architecture not agriculture <laughs> and that gave me a few other little jobs <laughs> I rode with it hey I was in my 20s I didn't know any better and um and then it was just it's just been a joy to find something that I love doing and know that I this is where I fit this is what I do and I sort of worked my way up through the department and then Charlotte and I formed a, a strong working relationship probably about for 10 I'd like to say like three years ago because we've not been in the industry that long but we've been in it for about 20 years so it's a bit scary and we've we've had the pleasure of working with Mike Lee that I think changed my career quite massively. The way he works influences everything I do now. Um, and that's got me all this way to doing the magnificent film that is Saltburn. Yeah, love that. What about you, Charlotte? Yeah, I went to art school. I went to Goldsmiths and I made kind of like avant-garde films. And um, yeah, I was basically unemployable. And then again, I just kind of fell into, yeah, I, I, Kingston had just started a sort of film and TV 
design course and I went to that and that changed everything and then yeah I got into film and then I again I did a lot of British uh, crime dramas and TV series and then I was yeah so lucky stars aligned and I met Susie and we did Mr Turner and yeah working with Mike Lee again just changed everything the way we look I mean certainly the approach to design set deck it's yeah we owe a lot to Mike like I can I can see that influence even in Saltburn like there's there's definitely elements of the Mike Lee quality yeah for sure um yeah. it's funny I more well, my family are from Kingston I grew up in Worcester Park so not not around, ah. you know, around the corner <laughs> funny enough um so let's dive into Saltburn because I've got a million questions I'll never get the time to get them all in so let's dive straight in can you describe your first involvement in the project what were your first discussions with Emerald like could you see her vision was it was it apparent from day one because she's the writer director that's just a gift for a designer an art department because you've got the answers right there you know if you need to question anything she knows it's been in her mind so I think um once we start I mean I thought we'd be wrecking and scouting for locations for months trying to find this elusive house we both knew that the country houses in the UK near London because you have to think of the practicalities aren't the sort of places that we want to go to. We knew we wanted to find something new. So, I, yeah, as I say, I prepared myself and the location manager, right, we're going to have to find this, you know, elusive house. It was the second house we saw. We didn't need to go any, anywhere else. So I think on day one, we found it. It was, was ridiculous. It? We saw it's in the Midlands. We're, we're trying oh. to keep it a little bit under wraps only because oh, okay. it, we've been asked to, but also it's really nice to have no one else you know, for it to be unique and fresh and because yeah. everyone's seen every country house on, you know, Downton Abbey from Downton Abbey to Midsummer Murders, you know, they're all being filmed in. This hasn't, this, you know. And also the the people that lived there allowed us to do so much to it, which you wouldn't do in a, in a National Trust or English Heritage property. You know, we were touching the Caravaggios, you know, we were moving the statues and the sculptures and changing things and they yeah embraced a whole film crew being there sorry i've gone off tangent what was what was your question now oh it was <laughs> it was to do with your first interaction with emerald and and her vision and, with emerald. and how clear that was yeah. and she knew a little bit about the house so again when we when we're walking around i like to think that i design a film in the back of the recce vehicle in, on the location scout, talking with the director right there. We sort of um, develop a, a sort of shorthand. And I must admit, I thought I knew what she wanted, but it, it changes again. She was so clear. So it was that time was absolutely pivotal to just sort of try and pull out where she was going with this. She's got such an enigmatic style and part of our job is to, to find that so that we can explode it and expand it. And I think once we found it, and it was about basically the juxtaposition of beautiful, historic, gorgeous affluence with knickknacks and modern rubbish. Like, but it's like they're both sides of everything. So beauty and ugliness have to sit very closely together to give us this power, this intensity. So it was about yeah, about finding that. And I think once once I got my got to grips with that, then it was like just sort of trying to explode in each each direction and then are you working with charlotte immediately and and how how do you guys start that process together 
Charlotte came on a little bit after, I guess, usually I've, I've done a few reccees, maybe a, a week or a month before the rest of the team come on board. And I hate it because I like I need all my, my, my supporters there. And, I, you know, and Charlotte is so great at finding the idiosyncrasies, the unusual artwork. She's an absolute wealth of knowledge, whereas I perhaps struggle, you know, the painting a bit like that or the artist or the photographer. Charlotte's like, it's this guy, it's this guy, it's this, you know, I know where to get that. We can do this. So it's a real it's really exciting when we get a team on. And I think particularly on this job. I don't know if you think so, Charlotte, but I think we nailed our team. Our art department was probably the best we've worked with. Everyone was just on point. And that sort of comes from Emerald as well in that the whole crew was um, was up for this job. You know, every, it filtered right the way through. She had a, a really lovely way to encourage and uh, support everyone doing their job. She's very collaborative. She knows what she wants. She knows when it's wrong. She knows when it's right. She knows, but she allows collaboration people to suggest things or move it along and and Charlotte and I work in a similar way I think yeah definitely I mean I think working with Emerald she's a very visual director as well and so and but also she pushed us which was really exciting so you know with the orange silk curtains in the <clears throat> the dining room scene you know I sort of got burnt orange and we got like maybe eight different orange silk curtains hanging and at the last minute I got like a fluorescent orange one in and she's like that's the one I want and you're like oh really okay and then obviously it's right and it's fantastic you know and then she's like oh I want a pink carpet in the you know in the the, the crazy little cramped living room that they're in and you, you sort of get some and then you just throw in the bubblegum pink one and that's the one she wants so it would it you know it's it's a really great healthy journey with Susie and Emeralds. I'm not going to spoil anything for anyone, of course, but that scene, the pie scene. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, extraordinary. I've never seen anything like it. And the curtains made it, right? <laughs> the the colour yeah. and everything like that. Yeah, yeah incredible. And it's funny yeah. that the food scene actually was a, I think Emerald and I might have even spoken that during my interview. We weren't just speaking about the visual language and the look of it. We were talking about the sound, the taste, the, the smell, the texture. And we spoke about how shepherd's pie, you know, what do these people eat? And well, shepherd's pie, it's a, it's a classic English dish. So yeah, it was really fun. Yeah, to nanny see food, she called it. Yeah. Nanny <laughs> yeah. Um, so then you've got the brief from Emerald and then you, you go away and then you have to process all that, right? And do research. And so what, what's that process like? It's great fun. I mean, it's, it's de delving, going down really long tangents communicating with Emerald all the time about where what, you know what we're doing you are there is a time constraint in prep you know not just financially but time is a is a constraint which I sort of enjoy they give you a boundary so they help inform your design ultimately it'd be great to have time is no object money's no object but they give you a they force you in a direction of visual style so yeah it's, a, it's about researching I mean we have the beauty of online research now but Charlotte's a, a great one we'd go we'd go out we'd go and look at things and speak to people like, whether you Charlotte want to talk about you know our trips to the antiques markets and things like that yeah I mean we once we've let the bulls start to land and we've had a lot of interaction with Emerald then we go out truffling and I know Susie's time is very uh, you know, she's been called in all directions. So we will go to like Ardingley or Kempton or sometimes I'm lucky enough to go abroad. And then Susie will come and we will do key 
key items that we search out and we look for that we think are quite important to the um, the kind of look of it. And often it's the sofa, like, and so we've got that sofa in Lots Road down in, because again, you know, we went, tried, kind of tried to go to places that maybe they would inhabit. So went a lot to Chelsea and yeah, Lots Road Antique Market and Auction House. And then we, we got the G Smith sofa kind of completely upholstered and turned it into an emerald fennel sofa. And interestingly, this is set in 2006. So it's obviously very recent history, but it's somewhat of a period piece because it's not life isn't exactly the same now. So is that yeah. is that easier or harder when it's like more subtle, the change, and you have to be a bit more specific? Yeah, it's an interesting question because obviously we, we've done a lot of period films and what you find with period films it, is that it's not, although it's set in 2006 or it could have been set in 1986, 1886, 1066. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And this family lived here. I mean, we're suggesting on our family, fictional family tree that this is a, you know, the ancestry does go back that far in that house. So we have, you know, not many people will change their decor. You know, I haven't painted my house for 10 years or got yeah. a new sofa. So it's actually not specific. It's getting that historical feel all the way back. And the, the story is could be set in any of those eras as well. Desire, love, all of those hate, everything there is a is a story that could be set at any time. So we wanted to make it slightly timeless almost ambiguous but again with Emil's writing there's lovely details of the Harry Potters and the the silly sweets and the bright colours and the inflatables right next to um, the gorgeous Rubens painting and all that sort of stuff it's, it's great to see the well yeah lack of respect that this family have or it's just money is no object they're filthy rich they're it's decadent it's um it's over the top, but it's effortlessly stylish. And we were trying to find that line as well through the story to just, it needs to look like an oil painting when you're watching it. It needs to feel overwhelmingly full of emotion when you watch it, the essence, the feeling, like Charlotte was saying. And that, that comes from a Mike thinks, the essence. What are we trying to, what are we trying to get? We talked with Emerald a couple of weeks ago, and uh, she talked a lot about the visual element of this production. And I'm going to quote her. (laughs) She said, the house is shot as fetishistically as the cast, (laughs) which I thought was a great quote. And you being so pivotal, you know, both of you, in terms of creating that look, did you feel more of a responsibility in this production maybe than others because it's such an integral part of the film is and like you say that contrast between the sort of grandeur and the mundane um i think i think on any film you feel the responsibility of wow are we getting this right you know is this are we go are we in the right direction and i come back to it again having a writer director is so brilliant because you know immediately and also having a director like Emerald she's very she knows it as well when she's got it or when she hasn't so that house languishing in the sun lying there teasing us as we developed the script because I think because we found the house so soon Emerald was able to adapt her script to suit the house there were elements of the house that gave us perhaps new unusual aspects so she was able to adapt it and again we we just collaborated with that and were able to add those little extras and that, that sort of top dressing. But also it even goes as far as fair enough, we can prep all of this 
beautifully and really know and I and she really did prep it I've got photographs of Linus in the position that Jacob eventually takes on the floor in his study at Oxford and we see that you know so even way back months before we filmed it she knew exactly what she was going to get and we can prep all of that but it's about being able to react on camera on the day with the art department the standby team how they can um, assist the composition on the day to get these beautiful shots like the the bit of fly paper hanging from the um, beautiful chandelier at the beginning mm. that developed on the day. So my team are quickly, you know, wrapping a, making this fly paper and making little dead flies and catching the flies and sticking <laughs> them on. So it's elements like that are really, are really great because everyone feels they, uh, they have a ownership on what we're making, you know, it's a, it's a storytelling process of great collaboration and um, yeah, it was just being ready for those moments. Yeah. So Charlotte, as a set decorator, that's obviously where, you know, really where you shine, right? You're all those little details and, yeah. It's absolutely what we love. I mean, the house was definitely a character. I mean, that's what's getting fought over at the end of the day is ownership of that house or to have time in it. And that house itself, already the location was such a gift. So you don't want to take too much out of it. You just want to add and kind of put your emerald, the emerald touches in. So it's just a balancing act always on balance. One thing that I really enjoyed, and it's such a geeky, tiny little thing, I guess, but the crappiness of the TVs, <laughs> you know, yeah. very 2006. And the contrast of the crappy TVs with these beautiful portraits and, like you say, the yeah. sort of stained glass or whatever it is. Mm. Little Absolutely. things like that, you know, that and the karaoke scene. Actually, funnily enough, you mentioned the Caravaggios in the location, in the house. Mm. She mm. said to us that... There was, and you can probably elaborate on this, that the karaoke scene, there was a Caravaggio picture that she particularly referenced when talking about that scene. So could you elaborate on that? What what she spoke to you about that and, and how you sort of try to help recreate that? Yeah, well, it's so funny because we we laugh about that scene because it feels like the, the, the karaoke um, folder that Duncan the butler's holding gets its own lighting. That's the Caravaggio yeah. lighting and then going to darkness around it. It's just... Awesome. Um, the, I mean, Caravaggio and the pre, I mean, that we referenced that particular artist from the very get go, that, that, that we wanted that feel of light and dark, but the richness of the tones and intensity of the colour. So our palette was influenced probably by Caravaggio, but also that becomes again a collaboration with the DOP and how he lights those scenes. And we were just blessed with having Linus and his magnificent work to enhance the work we did. There, there were some amazing, some amazing artwork in that house and the, uh, you know, run of kings along the wall. It, it was remarkable that we were allowed to film in there with the fire full on and all those sort of things. But it, it all adds to the feeling that that Caravaggio is melting before our eyes and distorting as we go through the movie um, and getting slightly more unhinged and the the intense colours are helping build that craziness of, you know, all-encompassing, you know, senses overload. Yeah. Well, yeah, you really get that sense of the sort of uncanny about the whole thing, because as you would expect in a in a sort of country house like that, but then there's also, like you said earlier, all the sort of 
family day-to-day sort of ephemera you know and things like that you yeah know, she, you know uh it, it's jarring and in a way to see those two things you know side by side you talked about uh linus and i'm going to be speaking to him later actually a lot of the film particularly inside the house was very darkly lit is that <laughs> you get frustrated about that all the work you put into dressing the sets and then it's, it's not illuminated you can't yeah. see it <laughs> no, because ultimately we it's the end the end product is we're storytelling. We're not necessarily looking at my my design. Yeah. <laughs> if you know what I mean. It, uh, my design in a way needs to not jar. It needs yeah. to allow allow it's this it's the it's a storytelling process. It's one person's story or you know, voice, it's Emerald's voice. And and we do that. It's there that I know the details there and in aspects. It's great because Lena sometimes picks up, like, for instance, how I've just said, the karaoke folder. We see that and a lot of effort went into that on the day to make it right or to how do we do the writing? And it was as if it had been done by one of the kids three or four years ago when their schoolmates came around to do karaoke and it was still the same one. So it wasn't a high-end company that had come in to do karaoke. This is the family. They do it every Saturday night at karaoke. It was a new thing. So it was about getting that sort of balance and we make sure the details there, if they want it, it's there sort of thing. And fair enough, sometimes we'll plot those details, but I think Charlotte and I like to fill everywhere else so that it feels an authentic environment, especially for the actors to then inhabit the world. Mm. I sort of don't want them to jar. I want them to feel very comfortable that their characters live in this house. So they would understand that that karaoke folder would look like that they would understand that they've got twiglets in a you know lalique bowl next door to a an ashtray from the pub that they've nicked you know it's like a real <laughs> juxtaposition of all this and the slops of the gin and tonic are in the dog's bowl it's sort of that right. feel and I think we would have liked to have had dogs lounging around but it just I think you feel there's probably dogs that live there and hair everywhere but we yeah. never see them <laughs> much of the film is not literally, but essentially seen through the eyes of our sort of lead character, Oliver. And the discomfort of going into somewhere very different and intimidating, right? Did did that go into your decision-making in terms of your artistic choices, how to make things as awkward and <laughs> stressful as possible, you know, for Oliver, you know, going into this this strange world? I think I think it does, and again, a brilliant script enables us to do that. Like when Oliver turns up at Oxford, even we yeah. gave him, you know, the, both Oliver and Felix's rooms, their Oxford rooms are a very true. You know, we wrecked real rooms, and they're these beautiful traditional rooms on quads with amazing landscaping outside the window. But they're students, and they don't. It felt like a lot of them don't understand the privilege they have to be to be in those sort of environments and we we like the fact that even at that stage Felix gets the better room he gets this beautiful wood paneled slightly bigger room probably with an ensuite whereas Oliver even then doesn't manage to luck out you know he's just never gonna he's always going to be other he, he, we needed to make him never feel like he fit the environment. He felt he, we wanted to make him feel separate. So even at that very early stage that we meet him, he gets one of the worst rooms, you know, and we knew in our backstory, it was probably near the bar. So it'd always be busy, noisy, you know, the windows never shut. It's near the staircase. The door slams all the time. 
it's an uncomfortable environment, whereas Felix probably gets the nicer end, the quieter end. There's no there's no other people near him, or if they are, they're all his mates. So yeah. Yeah, it's just about separating um, Oliver wherever possible and giving those environments the, the possibilities. And Charlie, even with the potential to sort of glamorize all this opulence and and privilege you know you do a very good job of knocking that down and you know showing the ugly side of it yeah i mean i think you have to have the opulence i think you know like what susie did in that house was extraordinary too like she did that sort of enfilade of the room after the room and she turned the middle room into a bathroom and then a dressing room and then she had this chat with linus and the word gloss came up and susie's like i'm gonna gloss paint all the woodwork in all those four rooms and we were just like how are you going to tell the owners and Susie <laughs> went to the owners and they agreed to let us paint that ancient woodwork like that deep wow. red gloss as well that feels like it's dripping and then we had like full poster bed that I took to car spray we sprayed it with turquoise paint we had tapestries made so that we could we had cupboards all taken out we put tapestries in so that we could put all Felix's posters like just stuck onto the tapestries and actually we did such a realistic job that the location manager came into the art department she went who in their right mind thought it was a good idea to stick posters on that tapestry and I was like Harriet it's ours and she was like oh god so even the location manager who knew the house was fooled by what we did but I think as well to create that intimidation for Oliver when he walks through but to be honest when Susie and I first went to look at the house we had a bit of an Oliver moment because we got to the house and we turned up and the doors sort of opened and all the doors were open you know like and we kind of went in and there was dogs and we were like what should we do and classically being British we said oh god let's go around the back entrance so we went around the back entrance <laughs> and we met the amazing housekeeper Vance and Jason the butler and they were in the kitchen with the owner's daughters sitting there eating sort of baked beans and and then it was just like we had our Oliver moment so it was right at the beginning it, it was yeah. And it was hilarious, wasn't it? Because they could see us on the CCTV that's everywhere. They said, oh, we saw you not unable to get in, but didn't do anything about it. Yeah. I can totally relate. Walking up to a big, huge, great house like that, you just knock on the front door yeah. and someone opens it. Yeah. Like, what do you do? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, so what was your dialogue like with Emerald throughout production? Did she leave you to it? Was it very, um, was there a lot of communication day to day? Like, how, what was it like? She likes to know she 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 likes to, I want I don't want to say micromanage, but she <laughs> likes to be involved and see where we're going and 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 steer us very clearly. And actually it's it was a really I really enjoyed working with her for that, you know, just we'd show um try and show her what we're up to and where we're going. You know, her, her time is very precious and whatever so you try and fill as much as you can when you when I was speaking to to her during pre-production okay this is where we're going with the rooms we're using this color for the windows you know so you you give as much as you can and quite often um, it was very clear when we hit the right note but it was also clear when we didn't and that's as important to know what doesn't work as what does and it's about not feeling defensive or um, concerned about that I, I, I sort of want to know what you know what's not there because we can fix it sort of thing so yeah she was 
she was involved but in a really collaborative way and when we get to when we got to filming my you know I'm quite often on a prepping the next the next sets in a different location so I would come and go um but again we had such a brilliant standby team that you'd get those the bits of information coming back to you daily and it as I say it was it was a great shoot and it just seemed to work perfectly and Charlotte you know you must be having to deal with or keep track of thousands of individual things, right? What what mm-hmm. is the process for keeping track of all that stuff? And yeah, that's the nuts and bolts side. I mean, that's that's the yeah, yeah. the list. I love hearing that stuff. <laughs> yeah, do you? Yeah. Okay. yeah, I mean, we we're really nuts. Yeah. And you wouldn't believe how nerdy I get with some of these interviews. Okay, I mean, I love a list. God, <laughs> yeah, and I do set sheets for every single set and um and we break down so i've got every set's got its own set sheet with everything that needs to go on it and then obviously i've got a fantastic team my prop buyer who i've worked with for years as well and assistant set deck as well so you've got you know i have a trusted team there's like three four of us who've worked together for a long time so and then you know we have prop master who then manages all the pickups and getting that all in but i mean it's like a military operation you know you have your amazing fun in the beginning and then it's you've got to really make sure that happens because it's set after set after set and so you've got to make sure you know it's as Susie and I say, we're strong finishers. So it's all about finishing, you know. So you, you, you just have set sheets all the way to the end. So there's no, you have to. Yeah, the, the, the set sheets are dressing plans that Charlotte and I do are really mm. pivotal as well so that the whole team knows. So that will be literally a, an elevation of the room or the location that we're in and where things go. Where are the lights? Where's the bed? What the linen is? What the curtains look like? This vase goes here sort of thing all on this one sort of document that gets shared amongst all the teams so they know where where things are going to go if one of us aren't there although on the whole Charlotte nearly always dresses every set but occasionally we have to split our responsibilities and because of the schedule or timing whatever and we'll we'll double up and I hate dressing the set without Charlotte because she does a much better job and then I just come in and move a vase and then she moves it back and off we go is there such a thing as a typical day on set? And if there is, what is your schedule? Do you arrive at, you know, crack of dawn, leave late at night? Like, what is what is your what is your day like? Yeah, so we 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 go get our hair done, our makeup, our nails, and we might rock up. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> every day's different, and that's the joy of what we do. On the whole, right. I think when we're filming, Tots and I, Charlotte and I, have have slightly different rhythms. So mine, I try and see the crew in to every new location. So I'll be there, you know, an hour before call to make sure that we're the set's ready and the standbys are happy. And that's a good time for me to catch up with production, either producers or line producers, possibly director to see how they're doing. If there's anything they've thought of overnight, if there's any discussions we need to have. And then my day might take me to I might drive for three hours to another location to assist dressing or to see what the dressing crew have done. Sometimes then I'll be called back to set for a lunchtime meeting, which can be frustrating. Or, or I guess lunchtime is better than the end of the day if you're three hours away. So I'm sort of, when we're filming all over the place, touching base. Um, Charlotte, I think yours is probably slightly more organised mm. than that, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, my day is, I'm always like ahead of everybody. So 
I always ahead, I'm dressing, I'm always there, you know, when the trucks turn up um, and I just see the trucks in, all the props in, and I dress the set and then I move on. And then only rarely, if you're sort of just got the slightest doubt about something, then I will stay with Susie to see them in and then I will move on. But normally I'm always one set ahead. And like the producers always say to me, like, where, where are you? I haven't seen you for ages, as if I've been on holiday. Getting your hair done, having a massage. <laughs> yeah, because I'm, I'm always a step ahead of the whole crew and I'm very rarely, I mean, though we were lucky with Saltburn, um, we were around a lot, but, you know, at the end of the day, yeah. I'm always just one step ahead. I do a lot of interviews with, like I say, various crew members, and I always ask this question towards the end of the interview. Are there things that you like other crew members to know about what you do that would help you to do your job a little bit better? That's a great question. What do I want them to know that we do? To be quite honest, I like it to be a little bit secretive. And i tell you why, because, and I often say this, you know, when people say, what are you up to? And often I go, oh, we're doing art you know technical art department stuff you wouldn't understand because because what we do sometimes people do think it's just choosing wallpapers and colors and cushions and we don't there's a lot more that we do you know we build sets we we're talking you know we need to know weight bearing loads of scaffolding you know there's a lot of technical stuff we do do but because it's a visual language and it's a visual skill everyone has an opinion about art department whereas if you were to speak to a, a cinematographer or indeed a, a, a spark or a grip or a gaffer they can talk technical you know about the 10k out the window with a blonde flag and you know and to be honest you could just like glaze over because it's te- they're using technical terms and with the art department you don't really have that many technical terms and everyone thinks they know they have something have an input and on the on the whole we you know i, I you could become very precious about, yeah, that's a lovely idea, having a green sofa, but we're not, we're having a red one. Lovely, thanks. Sometimes people do come up with genius ideas because they're seeing it from the outside. So I'll steal it and say it's mine, and I'm cool <laughs> with that. But um, hence why, in a way, I'd like to like it to remain a little bit more ambiguous. It gives that sense of mystery that we're actually really technical. <laughs> oh, well, I shouldn't probably release this episode then because you've spilled the beans, really, yeah. on, on what you get up to. Yeah. <laughs> um, what about what about you, Charlotte? Yeah, I mean, I, I would say, like, in the last sort of 10 years, I've started to work much more closely, like, with the DOP and the gaffers and exactly what type of lighting they use and, I, you know, and, and when the scene's going to be shot, you know, and looking at it and, like, even going sometimes to the location at night if it's going to be shot at a night scene, just to, which is so different if it's shot during the day and really concentrating so much on the lighting now. Um, I've got to that point and listening and we have these crazy two weeks before um, we start shooting when you're, you know, meant to be on tech recce's, I'm meant to be dressing the set and you have camera tests and action prop show and tells. And I tried to get to all of them, but that camera test I've really learned is really important. It's the one time I can speak to the DOP, really listen, really watch the way they like, and then just take that with throughout. Yeah. And then sometimes talking to the gaffers about, you know, like what, lighting would you you know just yeah i've got a much closer relationship with the sparks now yeah and so as we wrap up here i'd like to always finish with this question for anyone that wants to get into production design set dressing 
what would your recommendation be for those people? Uh, persevere, like send your CV to as many designers and art directors and set decks as you can and keep going with that because it will just land at the right time and learn a skill whether, and it, you don't necessarily need to go to film school to be in our department. I think 50% of my department is from film school and 50% is from out there, some other direction. And the, the mixture of knowing stuff, it, it's about having the right attitude, but trying to learn some, some skill that can get you in there, whether it's upholstery, whether it's graphics, whether it's editing or making something with one of these, an iPhone. It's a visual language that we're doing, so, so prepare yourself for the visuals, which you can do without going to film school. You can learn graphics program online. Um, and it, it, that's quite a good way in, actually, graphics. You, you know, becoming a graphic art director, whatever, is suddenly become a much stronger role in the department. So finding a, a little niche, finding what, what you enjoy, make a film on your iPhone, a one-minute film on your iPhone and send it. You know, the, just so doing something different than a A4 sheet of a CV and um, persevere with it because um, it's worth it. It's, and we are the best department to join. So, yeah. <laughs> All right. Gauntlet has been laid down. What about you, Charlotte? Same. Yeah, I second that. Perseverance yeah. and we're the best department. I mean, set deck is the best job ever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah <laughs> okay well we'll leave it with that so Susie Charlotte thank you so much that was that thank was really you. interesting and, and congratulations on Saltburn absolutely loved it thanks Jamie um, cheers thank you so much for listening to the podcast my name's Jamie Muffet definitely check out Saltburn which is out now Thank you so much to Susie Davies and Charlotte Durix for speaking with us today, and I'll see you next time. Thanks so much. This has been an RPS audio production.